Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to TruthQuest Podcast. This is our Q&A, where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says, so we can know what to believe. Evaluate what we've been taught and what we believe, our questions that we have in Scripture, and try to compare them to Scripture. Our desire is to seek God first through the Spirit of Truth, which inspired the Word of God. If you're joining us for the first time, we're really glad you're here, and we hope that you are blessed by the time that we spend going through the Word of God. Our first question always comes from our latest teaching. We'll have a teaching this weekend. It's Mother's Day, and uh, last Wednesday night, we were in Galatians chapter 3, and Paul is very direct. We did our sixth study in the book of Galatians, and in the beginning of chapter 3, he brings forth a passage in Galatians 3.1 where he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you would turn away from the truth? And so, and in fact, I have it up here um, so that we can look at it really quickly. And this is, um, O foolish Galatians, who has, let me get that out of the way, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evident, has been uh, evidently set forth before you, crucified among you, set forth crucified among you. Now, the interesting thing about this particular passage and really all of them uh, in the book of Galatians, I mean, it's so clear that Paul's fighting against the legalists. You've believed in another gospel. It's not another gospel. Uh, if, If anyone could be saved by the law, then Christ died in vain. But the legalists still today will attack it. I had a message left today on one of our social media platforms that somebody said the bewitching was believing that you're saved by grace. They literally will turn it around and deny it any way that they possibly can. So here's the question that we had about the study on Wednesday night. Uh, It's from our Bible study. How did you connect the word bewitched in Galatians 3.1 to evil spirits? And thank you for that question. If you have a question from our study this weekend, we're going to be talking about Jesus cleansing the temple. Then go ahead and watch that study. Write down your questions. You can ask them uh, during our teaching here. You can ask really any questions, but we always start with a question from the last study. So, oh foolish Galatians, he says. And we know that foolishness, according to Proverbs, is connected to following the heart. A person who follows their heart is led into destruction. But a first person that follows the truth finds life. And there are many prophecies that speak of that. But this isn't a question about the word foolish there. It's the question about bewitched. So I looked up 28 different translations for for what that word bewitched could be translated. And I found that all of them translated it bewitched, except for a handful that translated it put a spell on you. Who has put a spell on you? And then a couple more that translated it in different ways. So the word bewitched seems to be a good word. But the word literally means in the Greek to have an evil eye. Who has cast an evil eye on you? It would literally be saying the word evil being spirit. And so that's how I connected the word bewitched to an evil spirit. Because we know that in the last days, people are going to come, the people are going to seek teachers who will tickle their ears. But we also know that the Spirit expressly says that there's going to be deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. The first occurrence of a false gospel or a false teaching was Satan in the garden with Eve. 
when he said, you shall not surely die. That's the first occurrence of a false teaching. Excuse me, Jesus, in the, uh, in when he's tempted by Satan, had Satan try to give him a false teaching when he took him to the pinnacle of the temple and said, throw yourself off from here and the angels will catch you. For it says, the angels will keep you lest you dash your foot against a stone. Does Satan know scripture? Yes. And he left out a part of it. And that's what false teachers do. Here is Satan quoting scripture. It's a spirit. It's a, a deceptive spirit. He's a deceptive spirit. Quoting scripture, leaving out to keep you in all of your ways. So that if Jesus is doing the things God wants him to do, God will keep him lest he dash his foot against a stone. And Jesus said, you shall not put your God to a test. That was his response. But that you should do the things that God's called you to do. So Satan sometimes looks so much like scripture, but he leaves something out or he changes it slightly. And there are these demonic forces behind it. The Bible tells us in 1 John that we are supposed to test every spirit. Well, where do we see spirits to be able to test them to see whether or not they're from God? And then it goes on to say, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. False prophets are influenced by a demonic spirit. False teachings by a demonic spirit. The battle is over the souls of men and women. We're told in the passage in Ephesians chapter 6 about armor. Put on your helmet of salvation, your breastplate of righteousness, your belt of truth. Because the truth sets you free. And it is the spirit of truth that has inspired the word of God. And then your feet prepared with the gospel. That is spiritual warfare is fighting for the souls of men and women to come to Christ. That we would have a passion for their souls, to love him, to follow him, to do the things that God has called us to do and live wholeheartedly for him. And so when there's a false teaching, when there's a false doctrine, then we want to make sure that we examine it to see whether or not it is genuinely true, that we could truly follow after what the Lord wants from us wholeheartedly. Now, there are other passages that talk about demonic spirits behind false teachings, and I think it's important that we also say that a difference of opinion about something minor is not a false teaching. There are a lot of people who will bring up false teaching in, just drop it at a drop of a hat. There are differences. You and I are going to have differences. That doesn't mean it's a false teaching as in a demonic spirit behind it. It just means that one of us is right and one of us is wrong when it comes to the things of God. And so we want to make sure that we are following after him wholeheartedly and not giving way to deceiving spirits. One more thing about this bewitching that can take place. I've seen it happen to Christians. Christians will listen to something a false teacher says and they'll be blessed by it. And then when someone points out that they teach heresy, false teaching, they'll get offended. I heard them and I listened to them and they blessed me. That's because you're, we're looking at your heart. And Proverbs says that the foolish person follows his heart and it brings them to destruction. Where does your loyalty lie? Is it with the false teacher that you might have heard a message from and been blessed? Or is it from God? That's the real question. That's the question that we always want to ask. We want to have loyalty towards God and the things that his word says. So thank you very much for that question and for our teachings that we have been doing. Um, on, thank you very much for your questions on the teachings that we did last Wednesday night. If you guys have any teachings, any questions on Wednesday from our study tonight as we look at uh, Jesus uh, cleansing the temple, a lot of really good things there for us. 
So Andre got beat out today for, for being number one. And this came from Paul. And Paul says, question, what is your opinion on people who are born in different cultures and raised to truly believe their religion is the truth? So some even die in their beliefs because it is so strong. How does God judge the, these other people in different cultures who believe their religion is truth? All right, thank you, Paul. I appreciate your question. And this is answered in Romans 1 and 2. And that is that God has put something inside of everyone that he exists. God has also given us creation that God exists. But we also know that man is condemned already. We are not condemned because of what we believe. We are condemned because there is sin in us and we have to come to Christ. Now, I believe that there are those who would respond positively to the light that they've been given, but they have to come through Jesus Christ. And if they're putting their faith in a false religion, then they're not going to come to Christ. It could be in Acts chapter 17. I think it's in verses 25 and 26. Let me see if I can get that pulled up here uh, really quick. I think it's Acts 17. It talks about God putting people in different places so that they could grope for him. I think it's 25, 26. Let me get there. Got just a couple more here to go. Um, Paul addresses, uh, Paul's address. Um, maybe it's 27. Let me just get here. Yeah. Here we go, 26 and 27. Let me put it up on the screen for you. And I think that this may help us a little bit with this. So here Paul is preaching to the Athenians. He's in Athens. They are very religious. They've got false gods everywhere. And he points out that there's a statue to the unknown God unless they've left any of them out. And he says to them, I am coming to you preaching about this God, this unknown God. And then he says this in verse 26. He hath made of one blood all nations, of all men who dwell on all of the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and their bounds of their habitation. So God determined where they were going to be and where they were going to live. Then it says that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him. I must have this on King James. I do. I'm going to change that in a moment. Um, in fact, hang, bear with me. I'm just going to change this to the new King James. If I can find it quickly, which I think I can. Hope I'm not making you guys dizzy by looking for that. Um, let's see where we are here. Yep, almost there. New King James. All right, let's go back and read it in, in, the, um, in the New King James. All right, so it says, uh, And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell in all of the face of the earth. That means we all come from Adam and Eve. And has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, where you're going to live and wh what your boundaries are going to be. And then he says the reason he's done it. So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him as though he is not, uh, he is though he is not far from each of us. Now that's a very powerful passage that tells us that God is determining where people live so that they can seek him and find the things that he has for us. Um, I take it then that God opens doors for those who would believe. God knows beforehand whether or not we would believe him and that God opens doors and how they respond to that. God is a fair judge. You cannot come to Christ except through Jesus Christ. But remember that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him righteousness and, and he didn't know anything about Jesus. 
And so somehow there was a connection, even though Abraham didn't know, he would know about the Messiah, but he was saved without knowing anything about it because God told him, your descendants are going to be like the stars of the sky. And the Bible says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him righteousness. I want to just say very clearly that there's one name given under heaven whereby men can be saved. That is the name Jesus Christ. And God is going to fairly judge these people who are living in other countries who may have never have heard the name of Christ. All right. So hopefully that's helpful. Um, God hasn't abandoned them. God put them there. There are accounts today, especially of Muslims that have dreams of Christ and have received Jesus and then began going to churches because he reached out to them. God is faithful to reach out to people and he puts them in places. It may be that God has put all of the people who would believe in him in this time and in places where they can hear the gospel. There's a certain word for this theology. Um, I don't know how much I really believe in that, but I know that God is fair and I know the more light we have, the more responsible we are in the world that we live in. We're much more responsible and will be judged much harsher than someone who lives in another part of the world. Okay, so uh, Andre has the second question today. I'm going to have to be a little quicker on it, Andre, to be able to keep that first spot. Uh, Andre says, we know Jesus um, has big shoulders. He tells us a word against him will be forgiven, yet blasphemy against the spirit won't. Matthew 12, 31 and 32. What is an, um, what is an expla explanation of blasphemy against the spirit? So I'm glad you put down the references here. Um, let's go ahead and take a look at them. And I think that that is going to help us. And the way that Jesus worded this is very helpful as well, because sometimes we can think that he said that blasphemy against Jesus will be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit won't be forgiven. That's not what he said. We'll, we'll read this and you can see what he said. Sometimes we add those uh, certain things to the word of God and or read it wrongly, and maybe not always intentionally, but let me go ahead and bring this up again here. Okay. All right. And then, uh, let's see if I can find this. It says, um, therefore I say to you that not every sin, therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven of men. But the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven from men. Anyone who speaks a word against the son of man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. And I think it's important for us to go ahead and get. Um, I think it's important for us to understand the context of this, that you've got the scribes and the Pharisees and they know God's word very well. They understand God's word really well. And they have seen Jesus throughout his ministry and they neglect him. They say it's by Beelzebub that he cast out demons. So they take the spirit and they, they reject and reject and reject. And that is the blasphemy of the spirit. It's not just a word spoken against the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes people will think they'll read that then they'll curse the Holy Spirit, then they'll think they've committed the unforgivable sin. No, the blasphemy of the Spirit is to continue to reject and reject and reject and reject. Just like the scribes and Pharisees rejected and rejected and rejected, and then finally, Jesus hid things from them. 
That's why the Bible says, today if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. Because God's speaking to you. And you don't know whether you might push it away and then have gone too far. I think that, that Hebrews is talking about this, where it says it's impossible to renew them to repentance. They are very familiar with the word of God. God's reached out and spoken to them. And then they've rejected and rejected. And now it's impossible to bring them back to repentance. I think that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. All blasphemies will be forgiven, but not the blasphemy of the Spirit. A word spoken against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but not the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And since the Holy Spirit draws you, Jesus said in John 14, the Holy Spirit has been with you. He is now... Uh, he has been with you, he is now in you, and he will empower you. So there's the empowering of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit comes. And he's with us before we come to Christ. He's in us at the moment we come to Christ. And then he comes upon us or we receive him when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And a rejection of what the Holy Spirit wants to do is a rejection of all of these kind of things. All right? So thank you, Andre. I hope that's helpful. If... Uh, you have more questions about that or you want clarifications then i'd love to try to do that if you have a follow-up question if we have enough time in uh, in this particular q a so it's good to see you guys i hope you're doing well on this mother's day weekend happy mother's day uh, to all of you moms that are out there remember that this is a podcast and you can sign up for this podcast everywhere that wherever you get your podcast from just search for truth quest podcast with Robert Furrow, and you'll be able to get all of our full-length teachings, all of our hot topics, as well as these Q&As, which I'm, I'm really glad to be doing them for a couple of reasons. I like the community that's being built here. I think this is our 73rd, 76th epi, uh, edition, somewhere around there, of the TruthQuest Q&A, but I also love just seeing what people's questions are uh, because it helps me so much as I'm making my way through the Bible to see the things that people are interested in in our full-length teachings are in our hot topics. So we have a question from Jari. Jari says, what are the groanings that cannot be uttered in Romans 8.26? Also, why do false teachers seem uh, so nice? Thank you. All right, two different questions from Jari. Let's go ahead and go to Romans 8.26 first, and then we'll talk about why false teachers seem so nice. Romans 8.26. And I'm going to bring this up on the screen for you. We're going to come back one, one or two verses. <clears throat> and just to be able to understand it. So I'm going to bring it up on the... So here we're going to start in verse 24. We're interested in 26. Where it says, oh, For we were... All right, let me try that again. I've got to get my other things set up here. Not, not long. I'm waiting for a computer to come in. Uh, not only, let's go to verse 24, where I started. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. In other words, if we're there and we see it, it's hope. For why does one still hope for what he does not see? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for him. So we have hope eagerly waiting for him with perseverance. Then he says, likewise. The Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray, but the Spirit ought, um, for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession with us, with groanings, or for us, with groanings which cannot be uttered. 
Okay, first of all, Jari, this is not tongues. This is, tongues is your spirit speaking mysteries to God. But this seems to be a passage that tells us that you and I, when we don't know what to pray about, can groan over something. And when we groan, then God hears that groaning. And because of that groaning, there is a intercession. The Spirit says, yes, maybe you're crying. Maybe you're seeking God. You just quite don't know how to handle whatever it is. But you know that your spirit has been dealt with in a really harsh way. And so you're crying out to him. And the spirit intercedes for us. Maybe it's for a child. Maybe it's for your child. Maybe it's for your parent. Maybe it's something else grievous that has happened. But as you pray, you groan, you cry, and the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. He knows that we are seeking God and calling out to him during all of those times. And that's what this is. It's not, and this is really important to understand, it's not tongues. Tongues is us giving praise and worship to God. Our spirit speaking mysteries to God. In Acts chapter 2, it says, they each heard them glorifying God in their own language. So tongues were praise. And then in Acts chapter 10, when the Gentiles received the gospel, what we call the Gentile baptism with Peter, it says that he heard them magnifying God in, um, and, and, and praising him. The Holy Spirit gave them tongues and they magnified and glorified God with it. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, you speak in tongues, you do well because you magnify and glorify God because a man who speaks in the tongues doesn't speak to himself, but his spirit speaks mysteries to God. But groanings are intercession. So that when you're groaning about something, when you are deeply, deeply moved about something that's taking place and happening, then you can cry out to God. And sometimes you don't even know the words, but that's okay. Because the Holy Spirit knows what you need. And you can just go and cry out before him. Groan if necessary. Weep before him. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us in those moments, and it's very powerful. Why do false teachers seem so nice? There is a passage in 2 Corinthians, and I wish I could remember exactly where it was. I'd bring it up for you, uh, where Paul says, Look, it's no wonder that the ministers of Satan reveal themselves as a minister of light, because Satan himself makes himself an angel of light, and his ministers make themselves ministers of light. They look like pastors, they walk like pastors, they talk like pastors, they smell like pastors. They look like they are bringing the truth. But the, the proof is in the pudding, and the pudding is in their teaching whether or not it is the word of God. And when someone seems super nice or someone seems like a genuine Christian or a genuine believer, but they're teaching something that is not in the word of God, then you can reject it. I, um, I experienced this when I was 19 years old and I was first exposed to the prosperity gospel. God wants you rich. God wants you driving a Cadillac. I didn't care too much about Cadillacs, but he went on to say, God wants you driving a Corvette. I was like, yeah. And God wants you rich. My, our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and you're the king's kid. And how are you ever going to be impoverished? God wants you rich. And I listened to it and I kind of was like, uh, this is neat. I want to be rich and God wants me to be rich. But as I drove home, you know how the Bible says that the Spirit will bring back scriptures to you? As I drove home, I started thinking of 1 Timothy 6. That those who teach godliness as a means of financial gain, withdraw yourself from them. 
get away from them. For those who desire to be rich fall into snares that drowned men in destruction and many have shipwrecked in their faith for the love of money. And so this guy was great. The preacher, I, I liked him a lot. I thought he was awesome. I got to meet him. I thought he was great. It, this was a small church that I, I attended in Albuquerque when I was uh, had just come back to the Lord, 19 years old, and just begun to walk with Christ again. And um, But he was teaching a false teaching. And a buddy of mine had just gone off to Ramah, which was Kenneth Hagin's school, and he came back, and we had some epic battles over this uh, false teaching of prosperity. And I got to see how they twisted scripture because my buddy would say what they said. Now, we had a lot of conversations, and I believe that he came to see that prosperity wasn't right. I think that he came to see that prosperity wasn't right, but they look good and they present themselves as, as ministers of the gospel. But you check what they say. You be like the Bereans who search the word of God. They receive the word of God with all joy, but they search to see whether or not these things were true. That's because we're on a truth quest and we don't want to be deceived by a lie. Imagine when people now start giving in order to get, they start living for God in order to get more money. They believe that they're going to get rich and all the greediness that comes in it. And now they're living for God for that instead of self-sacrificing, giving up, being generous with what they have, being willing to lay down their lives for Christ and for the sake of the gospel. And so, Jari, that's why I think false teachers are so nice. I think they want to make themselves look as much as they can like teachers, and that's why you don't follow your heart. If you follow your heart, Proverbs says, there will be destruction. But with the truth, it sets us free, Jesus said. And the spirit is the spirit of truth, and we want all of those things that are indeed truthful. We have a question here from Albert. Albert, good to see you. Albert says, in church age, God mostly works with believers. But in the Old Testament and in the end times, he uses signs and wonders. Does this tell us that God uses signs more in the absence of the Holy Spirit? All right, so the question, Albert, is why during the church age doesn't it seem like there's not a lot of signs and wonders? But in the Old Testament, there were, and then we get into the tribulation period, and there are again. I, um, I think that when we're reading about what God did, we're reading the spectacular, and it's condensed. In other words, I don't think there were any more signs and wonders in the Old Testament, in the early church, or even in our age, and age to come. I think that God's moving and does the miraculous. It's just that they're not all recorded. And there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts, the biblical church age, right? Then we got the epistles, that also tell us of certain things. But in the book of Acts, we see 28 miracles, but it's over 28 years. And it's 28 years with certain people starting the church. So it seems to me that if there were signs and wonders happening daily, that they should have been a lot more of them. And so I don't know that the premise that God was working more in the Old Testament than he is in the church age with signs and wonders is really true. I think when we look at how much God's doing today, and if we could see and have a record of all of the miracles that God is doing, we might end up being blown away at all of the things they've done. Let me look at your question again, Albert, make sure I got it. Uh, in the church age, God mostly works with believers, but in the Old Testament, in the end times, he uses signs and wonders. 
So I think he used the signs and wonders today too, Albert. It's just, again, they're not condensed. Does this tell us God uses signs more in the absence of the Holy Spirit? No, I think that um, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was working. In the New Testament, it's poured out into each one of us. And if anything, we all are a part of the supernatural because he gives us gifts. Not all those gifts are the same. And we're not all supposed to seek sign gifts. We're supposed to seek the best gift. And the best gift would be the one that's connected to how God uses you. That would be, I'm a teacher. The best gift for me to have as a teacher is the gift of teaching. Now I have, I believe, the gift of discernment. I think I have the gift of evangelism. It's not as strong as some others, but I believe that I have it. Kind of a cluster of gifts, but they are supernatural. Jesus said to the disciples, wait in Jerusalem and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. All right, so thank you, Albert, for your question. If you have a follow-up, if somehow I didn't answer that correctly, which I seem to have a tendency to not always answer them uh, in how they're asked. Um, But if you have a follow-up question, you can certainly ask that. yeah, there are a lot of false teachers. Thanks, Yvette. I think that's really true. Uh, so I'm just making my way down here. If you have a question, then write the word question out, followed by a question. Reread it a couple of times. Make sure that it makes sense. And then add in the passage if we want to go and look at the passage. Okay? So we have a question here from Sharon. Sharon joins us from YouTube. Sharon says, question. Do you know why God made a plan of salvation for fallen man, but did not provide the same opportunity for angelic beings? I think I do. Let me tell you what my thoughts are on that. We are born in a fallen position. And we receive Christ and we are elevated into a glorious position. We might not be able to see all the glory, but there's glory. That people could see Christ in us. The the glory of God. Jesus prayed that we would have his glory in us. But we are born into a world that is a sinful world. I was born with a sin nature. No one had to tell me to bite my sister. She's two years older than me. I bit her. I got punished for biting her. But I bit her. No one had to say it. And um, there are so many other opportunities for us to understand that. That we're born with the sin nature. Everybody sins, the Bible says. If anyone says they don't sin, they're a liar and the truth isn't in them. So for the people today who say that they've gotten away from sin and the truth's not in them. So we have redemption. Angels were created in glory. But God gave them a free will. Just like God gave man a free will. God gave man a free will. We were born into sin. We have an opportunity to go into glory. They were born into glory. They saw it. They could still sin, and and Satan got pride, thought he could raise his throne above God's throne, and he fell. So when you fall from glory, then there's no redemption. When you are born into sin, you are redeemed to the glory. So they were already they already saw what you and I begin to see and begin to move forward when we make a commitment to Christ. God starts to work in us. He draws us to Himself. He transforms things and changes things. We find ourselves really beginning to live wholeheartedly for him and we find that forgiveness. 
So I think that that is the answer. This is my opinion. Notice I didn't give you a scripture, but I've thought this through before. So this is why I think that that's the case. Um, so you, when you want to reread it to make sure I got it, do you know why God made a plan of salvation for fallen men? Because we were fallen and God saved us from it, but did not make the same opportunity for angelic beings. I believe because they were created in glory, and then they chose to move away from that. And so when they chose to move away from it, there was no salvation for them at all. We do know that angels like want to look into the things that we have with our grace, undeserved favor, and are probably blown away by the fact that we are saved by undeserved favor, which is an amazing thing that the Bible says. And it amazes me that the demonic pull towards legalism is so strong, the demonic spirits behind it, that people today still fight against it, even those were so clearly told that we are saved by undeserved favor, not by works, lest anyone should boast. And so people still try to be saved by works because they want to boast about it. It's an arrogance that happens. So that's a little pet peeve that I've got going on. But I hope that answers your question as to why I believe that God made salvation available for, uh, for humans, but not available for demonic spirits. All right. Good to see you guys here. It's um, good to see what God's doing in each one of your lives. Like I said, I love our platform here. Uh, we have a question from Susan. Susan says, two Christians are married. However, they have a huge difference of opinion on what it means to sincerely lead a godly life. Not a small thing, big things. It feels like being unequally yoked, is it? Uh, yeah, I could say that. I think you could not only be at the extreme of being unequally yoked is a believer marrying a non-believer. And let me just say, don't 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 marry a non-believer thinking you're going to change them, because the Bible says in First Corinthians chapter seven, if the non-believer wants to stay, then you stay with them. So when you marry a non-believer, you are unequally yoked. Two animals trying to pull a cart together, one stronger than the other, it's very difficult because, and are trying to plow, plow ground with two animals that are not equally yoked. They'll go in circles because one's stronger and you're trying to constantly straighten them out. It's just a very difficult thing to do. And so an unequally yoked marriage is very difficult. It's just a very difficult thing to do. So not only should you choose someone when you're looking for someone to marry that is a believer, but you want to make sure that they're as committed to you or committed to the Lord as you are. That you would love him as much as, as he loves God or love her as much uh, or, or that she loves God as much as you love God. And I think this is really important. And I've been so blessed in both of my marriages my late wife, Lisa, strong desire for God. Doesn't mean she was perfect, but she had a strong desire for him. My new wife, Kathy, uh, she has a strong desire for God. And there is an equal yoke in our lives because both of us are seeking the things of the living God. Now, what do you do if you're married and you're unequally yoked? It just means you've kind of got difficulties. You can't leave the marriage. It says that the non-believer wants to go, let him leave. But here you are, two people that are married, and you say, well, what do I do now? Pray that God would get him really to have the same passion and fire and fervency that you have. 
because otherwise things are just going to be very difficult. I do believe that there is a, a sense in which it is unequally yoked. And uh, whether this is in business, whether it's in marriage, uh, it's easily it's easy to become unequally yoked with certain individuals, and that's always a difficulty. So when you are seeking someone who you want to marry, make sure that they love God as much as you do, and you will be greatly blessed by seeking Him in all of those things. All right. So thank you very much, Susan. I appreciate that. We'll go ahead and take another question here. Uh, if you have a question, then go ahead and write the word question out or put a question mark in front of it and then give us your question. That way I can see it as I'm making my way through here. Um, so we have a question from Darcy. Darcy joins us from Facebook. Darcy says, what prayer or words of encouragement can be said to someone who is severely mentally ill using religion, religion quotes like an addiction? I have faith God can ease his suffering. Excuse me, but what can I do? I got allergies, sorry. I'm trying not to sniffle, but um, it's uh, got a lot of things in the air here in Tucson right now, and allergies are particularly bad here. And um, so what, what, um, what prayer or words of encouragement can be said for someone who is severely mentally ill and using religion, religious crows like an addiction? I think... When you're dealing with someone who is severely mentally ill, you bear with them. You may be able to communicate to them. You, you may be able to talk to them about what they're obsessed with. But you just have to bear with their weakness. And I you know, pray that God would heal them. Pray that God would give them more understanding. Pray that God would move them forward. All of those things are great prayers. But there's something wrong with their mind. And I'm not one of those pastors who believes that if you are mentally ill, that that's some kind of a demonic thing. I think that Satan takes advantage of people who are mentally ill. He's a creep. He'll take advantage of those who are weak. But I think that there's real genuine mental illness, like a heart could have a problem or a liver could have a problem. A brain could have a problem. And we need to just have compassion on these people who if they do love Christ and receive him, and many of them are like a child, who receive Christ like a child. I'm not saying that there's not difficulties, that there's not problems, because with the mentally ill, there are always problems that arise like that. But it's, it's hard. And Darcy, it's just good that you're a friend to them. Continue to be a friend. Uh, I don't know how they're connected to you, um, but continue to try to be compassionate and remember, it's not your job to persuade them to believe one way or another or to change their behavior one way or another. You could give some suggestions. You might be able to help them out. But what words of encouragement when I would use with someone who's mentally ill, using religion or religious quotes like an addiction, I'd just bear with them. The same thing that you do if somebody has Alzheimer's. You bear with them. You just try to help them get through it. The same thing that you do with someone who has dementia. You try to help them get through it the best way they can. You pray that God would heal because God does heal. You lay hands on the sick and you pray for them because God does do it, but he doesn't do it with everyone. And so you just encourage them and have compassion on them. Understand that their, their world is a lot more like a child than not. That doesn't mean that they're not dealing with adult issues because a lot of times those that have a mental handicap are 
dealing with adult issues, but there are a lot more like a child, and there are those who are mentally handicapped who can't tell their right hand from the left, and I believe as God speaks of children not knowing their right hand from their left and God's not going to judge them, I think that's the, the truth with a lot of people who are mentally ill. God knows that line when they can understand and when there's real rebellion or when they're unable to be able to do that. So sorry that I don't have any words of encouragement. Um, I just would come alongside of them with the truth that God loves them, being able to hang out with them a little bit, um, reaffirming the religious quotes that they're giving you, like an addiction as being true. Just be with them, affirm them, love them. Uh, I think that you'll make a difference. I think it's a, it's a godly sacrifice to be able to spend some time with someone that may be very hard to spend time with. I think it's a godly sacrifice and I think it's very powerful. So good to see you guys here. Thanks for joining us on our Saturday Q&A. We have a Saturday Q&A and a Wednesday Q&A. You can go back and listen to all of the Q&As on TruthQuest podcast. You can download that wherever you get your podcast. Just go to TruthQuest with Robert Furrow, download it. You'll not only get our Q&As, but you'll get our full-length teachings and our hot topics, which are shorter teachings. Uh, we have another question here that comes to us from YouTube. Uh, they say, uh, what uh, were the watchers angels that never chose God or the devil? That's an interesting point of view. Uh, I don't believe so. So the book of Enoch talks about the watchers. And Daniel refers to the watchers. The book of Daniel refers to the watchers. And the watchers seem to be angels. Could they be fallen angels and, and holy angels? I don't think we've got enough passages to help us to understand why they were called watchers. I believe that if we go back and we read some of the things that we find in first century literature, we might get a better idea of what they understand about the watchers and why Daniel made reference to them as such. Um, but yeah, I don't think that we could say that they're fallen angels or they were some kind of in-between angels, never chose God or the devil. I think they were created by God and living for God. And then they fell from heaven when Satan, with his tail, the dragon with his tail, drug a third of the stars from heaven, which is one of the reasons we believe that a third of the angels fell. Some people don't agree with that statement, which is fine. Not a big, not, you know, a big deal how many demonic spirits there are out in the world. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't think that there's any that are living in neutral ground. I think they're either for God or against him. That's the way that I understand it. And I don't know why watchers would be, if there would be something with the quote um, in the passage that would say that. All right, so um, Dana has a question that's a follow-up here. Let me go ahead and bring this in. It's from Facebook. It's a big one. Let's see how much it fills up. Boom. All right. So Dana says, question, as a follow-up on blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, I find myself trying so hard to walk in the Spirit moment by moment. And that's really good. The Bible says, walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So I see that. That I sometimes get distracted from what maybe I should be doing. And taking lots of detours, feeling I hear or feel something the Holy Spirit leading me to do. 
things or say things that I do not get much done. Then I feel like I have grieved the Holy Spirit and disappointed God. That leads me to despair for even thinking that I will be able to distinguish the voice of God. Is there a chance it, I could be blaspheming God in this? No, not at all. I think there's a bit of, what's the right word here? Maybe just a misunderstanding. Not, I'm not trying to insult um, you, Dana. I, I'm just saying that there's easily a misunderstanding that we are to walk in the Spirit and what that means. It doesn't mean that we are to walk in the Spirit always with like a hand up like an antenna. Like, oh, God, God's, God's telling me to do this. Oh, oh, God's telling me to go over here and do that. Oh, I, I hear what God's saying there. It means, first of all, that we are driven to Scripture. And as we make our way through our lives, the Holy Spirit brings Scripture back to us. And we try to do everything that we do when we're living, living for Him. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, it says. But if you're walking in the Spirit thinking that it has something to do with with some kind of the Spirit leading you and guiding you in a supernatural way, then I think there's a bit of confusion because the Holy Spirit has given us the Spirit of Truth. That doesn't mean we can't have the check of the Spirit inside of us. It doesn't mean that the Spirit can't direct us and guide us like wind does a ship and we need to have our sails kind of set in the right direction to be able to hear from Him, to understand what He's saying and what He's going through. But I do think that we can easily have just this real misunderstanding that it's about following the truth. And if we follow the truth, then we're not going to find ourselves doing those things that are wrong. Now, let's think about that. Doing those things that are, are, are we're not following through with it. The result of walking in the Spirit should be you're not following the things of the flesh. You're not going to be condemned by that. Uh, you should never, you should seek the Spirit in order to do the things that you want to be doing. Because when we come back to your question here, you know, I, you say, um, I don't get much done. And I'm not quite sure exactly what framework you're talking about getting things done. What I can tell you is this is not the blasphemy of the Spirit. The blasphemy of the Spirit is the rejection of Christ. You've already come to Christ by your question. You have a desire to do what God wants you to do. None of us are perfect. None of us do exactly what God wants us to do. I would wonder, what is this distraction? Why are you getting distracted? And what kind of things are you not getting done? That would be more of a question than I would have. You feel like you've grieved the Holy Spirit or disappointed God. Why? Because you never shared with enough people? Because you're not taking care of your responsibilities as, as a husband or a father? So there's a, a lot of questions that I would have, but I will answer your question by saying, no, this is not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is probably being obsessed with feelings of being directed by the Spirit instead of following the Word of God and allowing the Spirit to gently nudge you and lead you. I don't have to have the Holy Spirit telling me every day if I'm to go right or left, if I'm to buy something or not. I want to be led by the Spirit. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Jesus said, abide in me and let my word abide in you. And if you ask whatever you desire, it will be done for you. So that's just incredibly powerful that we delight in God, that we walk in the Spirit, that we 
abide in Christ and his word abides in us and we find ourselves being able to bring about the things that God has planned for us and the things that God wants for us. All right, so thank you. Um, I appreciate that, um, Dana, and I hope that's helpful. That is not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That would have been you just continuing uh, to uh, reject and reject and reject the Holy Spirit. As a believer, rejecting what the Holy Spirit would want you to do would not be a good idea, but it's not going to cost you your salvation. You want to follow the Spirit of God, and I think that we all probably do at some times. So um, we have a question from YouTube. Um, idea called freedom. Uh, hi, Robert. I have, a, I have a question. Since Mormons believe Jesus is the Christ, and Jesus said, anyone who believes in me shall have eternal life, does that mean people like the Mormons are saved? All right, thank you very much for your question. Uh, so there's two places in the Bible. One place where Paul said, I'm fearful that people are going to come to you teaching a different Jesus, a different gospel, and that you're going to believe it. You might well put up with it, he said. And I wish I had the passage for it. Um, it is in, I think it's in Corinthians where he says, they come teaching a different Jesus. So if they believe that Jesus is the Christ, but their Jesus was a spirit baby born to Elohim that has a body like flesh and blood and one of his many wives and the wife that had Jesus, they had sex because they have bodies and, and they're living in heaven, him with his many wives, this is Mormonism, and they had sex, and she gave birth to the spirit baby Jesus, who eventually came to earth and became the Christ for them. They're redefining all of these words. The Jesus they teach is not the Jesus that we believe in. This is them. This is trying to rebrand. These are their words. You'll find it all over the place. If you are to look up, do Mormons and Christians believe in the same Jesus? They have all kinds of things, YouTube uh, videos on it, all kinds of things on the internet to try to say that they do. And when they talk to you, they're going to say, we believe that God's one. We believe in the Trinity. We believe that Jesus is God. We believe that he's the Messiah. But they have a different definition for each of those words. When they say they believe Jesus is God, they believe he progressed, he progressed to be God the same way you can progress to be God. In the same way Elohim progressed to be God. They don't mean Deuteronomy 4, 6. I think that's the passage here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. So the Holy Spirit and the Father, when you start getting into the nitty-gritty of what they believe, they believe that they are three different gods that achieve their own godhood and are connected somehow to make that into the Godhead for this earth. So, no. If a Mormon calls out upon Jesus and genuinely seeks Jesus genuinely and God moves in his life and draws him to be saved, God will draw them out of Mormonism. My late wife, Lisa, grew up Mormon. She was born in Salt Lake City. Uh, she got saved while working in Zion, Utah, where a girl by the name of Joni told her about Jesus Christ. Not the Jesus that the Mormons teach, because they'll say to you, well, this is the Church of Latter-day Saints, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah, anybody could call themselves anything. An elephant could call themselves an alligator, doesn't make him an alligator. When she heard that message, she was transformed and God led her out of Mormonism. She didn't stay as a Mormon. 
she was led out of it. Since then, my mother-in-law, my sister-in-law have both come to Christ, including my brother-in-law who wasn't a Mormon before that. Uh, wasn't, he didn't grow up a Mormon, but they're drawn out of it. And I believe they are genuinely going to be drawn out of it. And I think that this is one of the problems right now with the show The Chosen. And it's unfortunate because Dallas Jenkins said, I'm going to die on this hill that Christians and Mormons believe in the same Jesus. And they don't. And I've said openly, and I don't know if they'll ever listen to any of my statements or studies, but that he would return and repent from it. I believe there are some other people that are executive producers on The Chosen who are Mormon. And maybe that's why they say that. I'm not saying that The Chosen is trying to portray a Mormon Jesus. Although I would be skeptical if indeed the executive producer is a Mormon. And that would be someone who's above Dallas Jenkins or Dallas Jenkins would be equal to them. Um, and so this is a huge question today and they're trying to rebrand themselves to make people think that they are the same as Christians. Could a Mormon believe in Jesus, be genuinely saved? Yes. But God will leave him out, lead him out of Mormonism because Mormonism is another gospel. And Paul said in Galatians 1, if anybody brings you anything, teaches you anything that is different than what you've already heard, let them be accursed. If we are an angel. And so Moroni brought the message to Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith is a false prophet, proven. He added to the book of Genesis. And you can go to the end of the book of Genesis and see where he added to it. And then you can compare it to the manuscripts and know that he wrote himself in. He couldn't find himself anywhere in scripture, so he wrote himself in to the end of the book of Genesis out of deception. There is a spirit, it is a demonic spirit, that is behind Mormonism. And if somebody didn't know much about Mormonism, truly turned to Jesus and believed in him, they could be saved. But the spirit's going to lead him out of there. The Spirit's going to show them the differences and is going to lead them out of there. All right, so I'm open to a follow-up question if you have another question about that as well. Um, they also believe that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer, that Lucifer excelled like Jesus did, but um, um, Jesus became the Savior and that Lucifer was going to become the Savior. All of this is just made up. It's not anything that we find in the Bible that is really true. So Express Kimberly says... Um, a question, I think a follow-up to an earlier question than we had. She joins us from YouTube. Says, do you think maybe there is a plan of salvation for fallen angels and we just don't know about it? Um, I, I don't know how I could answer that. We don't know what we don't know. I, I think maybe God would have given us a hint. I, I, I just have to say, I don't know, maybe we'll be will be pleasantly surprised, but I don't, I don't think so. We know that Satan doesn't turn. He goes too far. He's cast in the lake of fire with the false prophet and with the Antichrist. And they are tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. So we know that not all of them have that opportunity. Um, I'm going to say, I don't think so. If I want to base what I believe on the scriptures, I realize sometimes the scriptures are silent and I have to be silent when the scriptures are silent. Um, but I think that this is an important enough issue and we've got enough information that Jesus might have said something different <clears throat> to the demons that possess people during his ministry, which I think the reason there were so many demons was because they were concentrated around the Galilee and the promise that the Galilee would have the Messiah and that the time of the Messiah was going to be near. And there was a battle going on over the souls of men and women even during that time. So I'm going to have to say, I don't think so. 
but I don't know that there's a way we can really know Express Kimberly. All right. Empress Kimberly, not Express Kimberly. I got to read names right. Empress Kimberly. So thank you, Empress Kimberly, for gracing us here uh, today with your question. All right. So I'm going to just look here and see. We're coming to the end of our Q&A. I'm going to look here and see if we have any more questions uh, before I go ahead and sign off. I've got just a couple more minutes. Um, it's been good to hang out with you guys. I hope that uh, this has been a blessing for you. Uh, hang on to the Word of God. Love God's Word. Serve Him. Follow Him. Live wholeheartedly for Him so that you do not find yourself deceived in any way, shape, or form. Receive the Word of God with all joy, but search the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things are true. Also, don't be like the church at Ephesus where they sought out false teachers so much, but then left their first love with God. We're to keep that first love with him. So, um, uh, fact check these hands. I'm going to go ahead and catch that question later on. Well, let me bring it in. I'll talk about it now here briefly, and then we'll wrap things up. So it says, what is your vision of the marriage supper of the lamb? Um, yeah, I can just tell you what I think, see in my mind, because so, I don't know what it's going to be like. And so a lot of those things I don't try to put details to. But I think the marriage supper of the Lamb will be phenomenal when we will see and learn more about who Christ is and what that connection is as us as the bride and him as the groom and his incredible love and sacrifice for each one of us. I think there are a lot of people who are not sacrificing, a lot of men who are not sacrificing themselves for Christ the way that they are supposed to be sacrificing themselves for him. So I'll talk more about that um, fact check these hands if you want to in the future but it's been good seeing you guys i'm going to go ahead and sign out i want to remind you we have a teaching in just an hour we had, uh, the worship starts in just an hour from right now and um, then i'll be teaching on jesus cleansing the temple there's some great application there and i look forward to covering that with you and as you watch it if you have any questions then you can ask the questions on our wednesday night study because that's kind of where we'll start we'll start with a question that comes from our study from last week and also if you're a new believer and you're joining us, we want to welcome you. And if you have any questions as a new believer, we'd love to hear those on Wednesday's Q&A. All right, so God bless you guys. Love you. Stay close with Jesus. I'll go ahead and sign out, and we'll see you guys later on.